0: Auburn needs a new football coach and we've got two on our staff that have ties to the SEC one with ties to Auburn any danger there here we go you are locked on ducks your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe. You know all of that good stuff by now. Today's episode brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the Auburn job is available, and I I think it's fair to ask the question. And I just want to put your fears to rest for now. There's no immediate sense of panic or worry here, but I did feel that this is something that needed to be addressed, given that less than 12 months ago, we had a head coach leave for a different job. The difference there is that Mario Cristobal had a pass with Miami Dan Lanning does not. And this ties into a mailback question, the one I didn't quite have time to get to yesterday on the show. But when you look at the betting markets and you looked at, look at the potential candidates that, that national media writers and pundits have laid out, Lanning's name is not coming up. Dillingham's does eh, kind of every now and then. But I think there's a couple reasons that Lanning wouldn't be a candidate there. Number one, he hasn't been a head coach for very long. And so his ties to the SEC, yeah, in theory, that could make him a candidate. But without having ties to Auburn, it'd feel a little weird, especially because he'd be coming from the West, even though he's from the South. I think that Auburn fan base is really in a place where they they want someone who's from the area, who knows the area, and who's been coaching in, in that area. And I don't know if Lanning fits that particular mold. And then just from a coaching qualification standpoint. I mean, Lanning has done a great job. Don't get me wrong, but the offense is is carrying the lion's share of the run here for Oregon, right? I don't think anybody would disagree with that. So Lanning's side of the ball hasn't been as dominant as some people would maybe like. They've been better than the statistics would suggest, but I don't think that's the sort of hire that, Would really sell the Auburn fan by fan base and the alumni and donors that that he was the right guy. There's no ties to the university. He hasn't worked there before. He's been on I think he was a GA at Alabama. He was, of course, on Georgia's staff. He was at Memphis before that, but obviously there'd be no concern if the Memphis job came open. I wouldn't worry about uh, landing, thinking about that. But I think anytime an SEC job comes open because they are the most coveted coaching jobs in America. And I saw, I think it was Jordan Reffitt, the, uh, one of the, uh, I think he's the football radio analyst for, for University of Washington. He played there. He posed a question the other day, you know, why would anyone leave a good situation in the Pac-12 or out West to go to the SEC where it just, you know, doesn't work very often? and I think it's a valid question to ask but I also understand why coaches take that gamble you're probably going to go for more money you've probably got more resources you're usually in a better recruiting bed unless you're coming from you know Los Angeles or Arizona maybe is comparable but still down south you got a lot of really really good players and looking at Auburn you're close to Texas you're closer to Florida and then you've got some big players down south Oregon has to go in and pull those coaches out but like Mike Leach for example could have stayed at Washington State and continued to have success, but kind of felt like his run there had come to an end, of which he had a great one, and he wants to test his chops as a coach at the next level. So I, I totally get that, right? I understand why some SEC, jo- not all, not not all for sure, but I understand why Mike Leach would go to Mississippi State, which is a historically middling SEC program rather than being at at Washington State. I think recruiting is certainly a big part of that. But the question about why coaches go over there, I, I think it's relatively simple to answer. More money, more resources, more buy-in. You're going to sell at your stadiums all the time. You've got a better TV deal. You not only have more money for yourself, you've got more money for assistance. Like, th- there are a lot of reasons why that would be an upgrade for a coach who has a good situation going, like Brian Harson, who might very well return to the Pac-12 at some point in time. you got ASU and Colorado open. I won't be shocked at all. If Brian Harson is a candidate who at least gets an interview with both of those places, it didn't work out at Auburn, but it kind of felt like it wasn't a perfect mesh from the start. And so bringing this back to Oregon, I think that landing is someone they, they might consider, but I, I think it's still too early for that. Now, Kenny Dillingham has a tie to Auburn. He was the offensive coordinator there. Actually, the last time they had a good season. Was 2019. They were, I think, six and five in 2020. They were six and seven last year, and they're currently, I think, like three and five. Like Auburn is not very good. They've gone downhill. This move needed to be made and such. But would they go after Kenny Dillingham? But again, going back to the question of is that somebody who, in the eyes of those SEC fans and the SEC alumni, and the donors that they have down there at Auburn who never wanted or liked Brian Harson, they never wanted that particular hire. Would they go for a 32 year old who looks like a whiz kid is a play caller who looks like he is exceptional at coaching up his side of the ball? Is that someone at that age with that amount of experience that they want? I don't think so. Cause when you look at the coaching candidates, they're considering Hugh Freeze has been a head coach for a long time. And Lane Kiffin's been a head coach for a long time. Those are kind of the top options. Deion Sanders has already been a head coach. Are you going to try a first-time head coach? It doesn't feel very SEC, does it? This is another part of the reason that I'm not that worried about it. How often in the SEC do you have someone who is relatively new on the coaching scene get a head coaching job? Kenny Dillingham is not very old. This is the first time he's been a play caller. He's been exceptional through eight games, right? Had the opening game dud against Georgia, of course, but has been really good. But I'm not that concerned about it, not just because I look at the, the coaching candidates who appear most likely to get the job and Kenny Dillingham's name is not there, but also because it's still very, very early in his career and it would feel a little bit like a flyer. It would feel a little bit like a flyer for Auburn to come to Kenny Dillingham, who was there for just one season. I'm pretty sure as the OC. So it's not like the ties are all that extensive. Would they go for someone who's been a play caller for a year and hasn't been a head coach would be, I think the youngest or second youngest. I'm pretty sure the guy at South Alabama would be a touch younger. He might be a little older than Kenny Dillingham, but he'd be among the two or three youngest head coaches in all of college football. It doesn't feel to me that that's the direction Auburn is going to go here, given the list of candidates they appear to be considering and that might be in line for that job. So I'm not particularly worried about it. I do think it's worth addressing because anytime you bring in a staff that has a lot of SEC ties, it's fair to ask the question, are they going to be allured back to that conference? Are they going to want to take a job when, when one comes open? Is the Auburn job better than Oregon? I'd argue no. You have an easier path to the playoff, while also having all the money, facilities, fan support, alumni support, and everything that you could get at at, at an SEC school. So I don't think Auburn is a better job. Oregon's been a better, uh, better program, and they're now uh, currently a better program as uh, as, as landing has taken over and such in the last you know 10, 15 years or so. But I think I think we'll be okay. I'm not guaranteeing that 100%, but my instinct overall is to look at this and say it doesn't feel like either. Like Landing's got no ties. Dillingham's still really young. I just, I just don't, I just don't particularly see it. And uh, I'm going to get to that question about Dillingham and his future beyond the Auburn job and that opening after I tell you about LinkedIn jobs these days. Every new hire or a potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for Free. Go in there, post your job, add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs as the number one company in in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so finally I'm getting to the Brewing PNW Adventures question. And uh, just to sum it up real quick, he's, uh, you know, it was a longer question and such, but he wants to know if Kenny Dillingham taking a head coaching job would potentially be delayed because of the history that he's got with Dan Lanning and whether or not that would help keep him around for more time. My initial reaction is it can't hurt it can't hurt because Dillingham is someone who has the potential to be a head coach, given what we've seen from him as a play caller at this point, but you still have to have some pedigree. You still have to have, you still have to have some time as a high level coordinator to where you can observe how a particular head coach does the job. Now he's been an OC. He just hasn't been a play caller. I think that's a little bit different, but that's more about how other schools will view him with regards to his relationship with Dan Lanning, it's there. there. There there's a pass. they were on the same staff at at Memphis, I think is where where they first met. There might have been one one other stop where their paths briefly crossed and it, you know, that's kind of the nature of the business, right? Is one reason that Dan Lanning I think brought in Kenny Dillingham is he knew him from those stops and he knew the sort of coach that he could be and why he was the the right the right coach, but I think if you're Kenny Dillingham, one thing you have to consider is you clearly have a good situation here at Oregon. You might be coaching yourself into a raise. You've got a head coach in Dan Lanning who you know, who you trust, who trusts you, right? There's no there's no handcuffs or anything, right? I mean, no one no one gets that sense the way we, we felt at times over over the past 4 years with that relationship between the head coach and the offensive coordinator. This is you, you know, from what we can tell from the outside, this is all Dillingham. on on the offensive side in terms of the play calling, the scheme, of course, landing is involved and such, but that's also my point is he's not saying, no, here's what we're going to do. And you need to do this. You got to do it that that way. And if you're Kenny Dillingham, I think that helps you a lot. Cause if you want to elevate your stock as a coordinator to be a head coach and look at how you can maximize your, your kind of draft stock in the eyes of other, other schools who maybe want to hire you as their head coach, you want to be able to do something like, something like this for multiple years because Arizona State may come after just one year to Kenny Dillingham and say, we'd like you to be our, our head football coach. But if Dillingham stays with Lanning for you know two years after this one, the offense keeps playing like this, you have conference championships, maybe a college football playoff appearance. If you do all of that, especially if he's able to make Dante Moore into a really, really good quarterback, with with all the promise that he shows as a prospect, then I think you could get interest from maybe if the next Auburn coach doesn't work out very well, then maybe there's a greater level of intrigue from the Tigers to say, well, maybe we want to go get him. And maybe that's the job that Dillingham wants. Maybe he wants Arizona State. I don't know. I've never met him. I haven't talked to him. And I don't think he's been, nor do we expect him to to be public about what his private career aspirations would be. I'm sure he has them, as anyone at that age tends to have. But if he's trying to make himself the best candidate possible, sure, he looks like a good one right now. But imagine if he stays with Lanning, a guy who he knows, a, guy's, a guy who he trusts, and a guy who he knows he can win a lot of football games with for another couple years— I think you could see bigger schools start to come calling and say, Hey, we'd like to interview you for, for our head coaching vacancy. Cause you know, they're, they're always going to be there and, and such. So maybe he, maybe he is a one and done as the OC because the offense has been so darn good, but I think he, he could be better served or have a better chance for his first head coaching job to be at a bigger school where you have a higher chance to succeed. and, you know, maybe you have more pressure at a place like Auburn if you end up there one day, but he'd be at a place where he could go and and have more resources and players, recruiting base, rather than like what what Joe Moorhead has done, for instance, right? He had some, some successes, the OC. I always thought he was pretty smart, but he's at Akron, and they're having a rough go of it this year. And maybe in a couple of years, he's able to rebuild that. But Dillingham may be tempted by an offer by that sort of school not not necessarily a group of five school but you know potentially if they get it if it's a good group of five school and he gets a head coaching offer like maybe if Memphis one day were to come call in and say hey we'd like you to be our head coach maybe he'd be okay going with that as his first job but is it easier to win at Memphis or is it easier to win it I don't know a Big Ten or SEC school that, that comes available depending on which one it is so I, I think it's fascinating but Could his relationship with Lenning help keep him around? Yeah, I I think a little. I don't think it could supersede a great offer if it came along, but I think it makes it more likely he would need an outstanding offer to leave rather than just saying, well, I'm going to take the first job that I get. Like If he he gets one or an interview that's like, ah, it's just an okay school, it's an okay job and such, but it's a head coaching opportunity, maybe it's more likely. I, I think it makes it a little more likely that that he'd stick around with landing because of everything I've talked about. That he knows he knows he can win a lot of games and he knows he can have a, a lot of success and uh, and raise his stock. So yesterday around this time in uh, in the episode I uh, had what my favorite high school teacher would call a moment of uh, cerebral flatulence and my uh, uh, more commonly referred to as a brain fart. And I just kind of like forgot what I had teased before the break, but I remembered uh, and then I uh, I figured you know what maybe perhaps. I should address it here on uh the show. So, the reason that Clemson going 13 and 0 is something Oregon fans should support in terms of them getting into the playoff is because if Oregon went 13 and 0, we would want the same treatment even if the conference was not very strong. Think about it. Let's say Oregon stays in the Pac-10 and or they expand back to the Pac-12 with like San Diego State and I don't know, UNLV or someone, right? Not adding a ton of RPI strength to the league, but still enough to where, you know, with Oregon and Washington, Utah, Oregon State's on the rise, the Arizona schools can be all right. You'd certainly expect that it would remain a a power five from a national consideration, right? They'd say, well, you know, it's weaker, but it's still a power five. If Oregon were to go 13-0, in that schedule, and they had a big big-time non-big non-conference opponent who was a little bit down but looks good before the season, the way Clemson has with Notre Dame. If the Ducks did that, we would all want them to get into the playoff, right? Clemson plays in the ACC, which is worse than the Pac-12. It is the worst of the Power 5 conferences. Without USC and UCLA, in a couple of years, the Pac-12 or Pac-10 could be the worst of the Power 5 conferences. But if the Ducks go 9-0 and in league play, and win all their non-conference games, and then win the conference championship, we would want them to get in in a four-team format. Now, when the 12-team format comes, I believe it's 2026, we're now talking about this in terms of what seed they would potentially get or how we would want the committee to view them. But I don't think Clemson is that good this year, but I do still think you should reward results. Like At the end of the day, the eye test is a part of it, but you have to reward results. Because even if you're in a weak Power 5 conference, it's still really hard to go undefeated. You know how I know that? Hardly anyone does it. It happens, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And if Oregon were in that same situation, we would all be wanting, you know, I'm sure there would be some fans out there saying, well, it's just, you know, SEC, Big Ten bias and all this sort of stuff. And Oregon's getting screwed and the Pac-12 and like all the, all those talking points. Would arise rise up to the surface in some corners of Oregon's fan base or beyond that would 100% happen. So though I think Oregon is much better than Clemson and I don't think Clemson has any margin for error. I'm recording this before the college football playoff rankings come out. I do not think Clemson will be in the top four. They'll probably be. I could see them being as low as six. Heck, I could see them being seven. I, I, I think they'll probably be six because they have some institutional brand respect they'll probably be ahead of TCU but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Alabama were ahead of them I I I think and again I'm recording this before so I'm not you know doing a fake prediction or anything of the sorts you know I'd never do that to all of you duck fans I'm just not my DNA I think you'll have Georgia one Tennessee two Ohio State three Michigan four I think it'll be Bama five Clemson six TCU seven probably I wouldn't be surprised if USC is eight and Oregon's number nine, and then you know uh, UCLA or or Ole Miss at uh, at at number ten. I'll take the I'll take the I'll probably go Ole Miss there. Probably Ole, Ole Miss at number ten, UCLA at at eleven. So that that's where I imagine they'll come out to. But regardless, the Ducks are going to be in all likelihood inside the top ten, and that's a pretty good place to be, right? The opportunity is still there. I don't think it's likely. There's a lot of obstacles, but it is still encouraging that in this coaching staff's first year, they are in the hunt. They're right there. They're in the mix. There hasn't been a drop-off. Some places, Auburn, for example, hired Brian Harson after Gus Malzahn won a good amount of football games, and he was hired to come in and elevate it, and they went down. So not every new hire, just because you have a good team or a good program does not mean, and I'm speaking about others, so not a, not a program. Does not mean the new coach who comes in is automatically going to work. But Dan Lanning so far and Kenny Dillingham and everybody else seem to be working. They deserve credit for that. And it's still exciting to talk about, right? I don't think they're going to get to the playoff, but they could. It's not It's not impossible, which is why it's still exciting. Not exciting was the news about Seven McGee. And I did have a couple more thoughts About him uh, leaving the Oregon football program and why it's, you know, not a disastrous situation, but but not a great one necessarily either, which I'll tell you about after I talk to you about bet online, your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts and in-depth analysis on every single game and as always bet online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events including major league baseball go mariners mma boxing and my personal favorite golf head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more bet online is where the game starts so seven mcgee leaves. And it's not surprising. He had just 11 catches in seven games. So he wasn't seeing a bunch of action. He's someone who, you know, I I liked coming into the year, talks about him in the preseason. I see him as uh, a capable slot receiver, see him as a gadget guy, jet sweeps, get him out on the edge. Do I like losing him? No, but here's, here's the good news for Oregon, not just in relation to this year, but in the coming seasons as well because obviously he won't be there and is no longer a weapon that Oregon can uh, can utilize. Did he have potential? Yes. But as it pertains to this season, I understand why fans are disappointed, but you also have to remember I'm not coming on here and asking the question, well, who's going to fill his role now? Who's going to slide into his shoes and and replicate that production? Cause he just hasn't been there a lot, right? We always felt he was a little underutilized, but here's the deal. Dan Lanning and company convinced him not to transfer when he considered doing so after Cristobal and company left for Miami. So he was bought into the fact that he was going to have a chance. And I believe that this staff had every reason to, and probably did give him a chance to play. But when he was on the field and I, I was particularly underwhelmed by his, by his performance as a, a kick returner, I thought it'd be better in that sense, but I don't think he ever had a great feel for it. I don't feel that Oregon is now missing a big offensive piece because the guys who were ahead of seven McGee have performed better. I mean, who, who've been Oregon's top two slot receivers this year, which is what seven McGee was transferring towards. I think wisely. And, you know, you may line him up in the backfield every now and then if he'd been, if he'd been used more, but you know, how can you disagree with everything we've seen from the running backs? If I had to choose between seven and Sean dollars, I'll take Sean dollars. I, I think they're kind of comparable players, physically and, you know, positionally in the way they're used in in the scheme of the offense. But I, I, I'd i rather have Dollars than McGee. Sure, I'd prefer to have both because if someone goes down with, with an injury, God forbid, as Chase Cota is, you know, kind of up in the air, he should just not play against Colorado. Honestly, get him back healthy for Washington. That's a much more important game. Oregon's a 31 and a half point road favorite against Colorado. That's, yeah, not, should should not be any sort of problem there. Get Dante Thornton some action as well. But when I look at seven McGee, I, I just don't see someone who, you know, was able to, to capitalize on his opportunities and work his way up the depth chart because Chase Coda and Chris Hudson have been really good. I know Chris Hudson had the one drop, but he also came back and made a bunch of plays and he's made a bunch of plays this season. He continues to be a really valuable weapon there. And the plays where I thought seven McGee would be involved, a little pop pass, a little jet sweep, a little quick screen. Coda and Hudson have been really good. And in the eyes of the coaching staff, those two are better than seven. McGee, so he's third on the depth chart. And so now you look at it and say, well, but what about for the future? Like, it looked like he could have had an opportunity. Y- yes. And no, because Hudson's going to be back in all likelihood next year and probably for another season after that. I'm pretty sure that's much how much eligibility he's got left. And Chase Cota is done after this year. But you know who Oregon, assuming they can keep him committed, which looks like they'll be able to, has coming in? Jurion Dickey. You know where he can play? In the slot. So that takes away an option. Like, I, I like Seven McGee. He can do a lot of things. I think if he goes to a Pac-12 school, he could go have a nice role. But he's clearly not a, a, a world-beater or an all-universe sort of talent, the likes of which... You know, some people maybe thought he was. Maybe some people didn't see that. Like you you saw the athletic potential pretty early on. But I think he had a chance to get playing time here, and he wasn't able to get it in the eyes of the offensive staff, which clearly, top to bottom, know what they're doing. A lot of people question, well, why are you bringing in all these running backs if Byron Cardwell is, is, is on the roster in addition to Sean Dollars? And then you watch Irving and Whittington, you say, well, how am I supposed to argue with those results? Like if you have a question... About why Seven McGee wasn't on the field more, you can't look at the offense and say, well, if he'd been more involved, the offense would be dramatically better. There are very few ways in which the offense can be dramatically better. And I don't think his role now or in the future is one that is particularly difficult to fill. I would have preferred he stayed around because I think he had a role there or he could have, but. I watched Chris Hudson handle the fly sweeps and pop passes to get out in space and say, well, if they think that Hudson's better than than what seven was going to be able to offer. That's a distinction the coaching staff has made, and it's hard to question him on that particular front. I don't harbor any ill will towards seven. He gave Oregon a chance after he understandably wanted to leave when the previous staff left. And I hope he's able to go somewhere, find success, get on the field, play football and maximize his potential. But I don't think there's a major piece of bad news here for Oregon because he hasn't been a big part of the offense. He wasn't able to capture. I mean, the special teams role in particular is one that was wide open up in the air from a depth chart and competition standpoint. And he just was not able, I, I think, to find a groove the way some other guys have. So Oregon's offense will be fine. I think they've got depth in in the coming years as well. To, to be able to, I, I guess, respond is the right word or you know, fill that hole on the roster, but I don't think he's leaving a big one. I wish him nothing but the best. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.